After over a decade of nonprofit leadership impacting thousands, we hit a wall. We started asking ourselves, how can we go beyond personal success and leave a legacy that lasts far beyond our lifetimes? A job change and a couple pivots into for-profit leadership later? We're on the search to get that question answered. If you're a leader who cares deeply about supporting nonprofits from the inside or from the outside, this podcast is for you. We believe that the world needs what you are going to leave behind, and it's our passion to help you find that thing and build it. I'm Ted. And I'm Lisa. Welcome to the Legacy Builders Movement. At the height of COVID-19, a crazy thing was happening. We all understand what this thing was. Everybody was having to stay at home, reduce the amount of time that they're outside of the home, and a lot of organizations, businesses crumpled because they couldn't figure out how to adjust and figure out how to keep people involved and passionate about what they were doing from a distance. And this is a question that now that the culture has actually shifted to the other side, businesses and nonprofits are still having to deal with because people got a taste of what it could be like and how freeing it is to just be able to stay home whenever they want. Businesses are having a hard time getting employees to want to come into the office. They want to be able to work from home. They want to be able to see their kids more. They want to be able to do all this stuff. And as a nonprofit leader, we have to think, how can we engage volunteers and people from a distance, not only because we have to just to stay around, but secondarily, think about the amount of reach we can have as organizations if we could go outside of the 10-mile radius of our town. And mm -hmm. that's the conversation we're going to have today. Long distance versus short distance. Local. <laughs> Local volunteers <laughs> and people who are connected to the organization. This is a huge thing. We really saw it a couple of years ago, like Ted said, when everything was happening. Um, but just like in the business world, there's the great, you know, people said it was the great resignation. People were quitting their jobs as they realized that life was a lot simpler when they didn't have to have all these other things going on. You know, there are a lot of factors going on. Uh, we also saw a lot of nonprofits who lost a lot of either people who were donors, um, who were going to events, um, or even volunteers who went through a season where they realized how simple their life could be, just not having as much going on. And suddenly, things that they had just taken it for granted. Oh, I always volunteer once a month at this place. Oh, I'm always a part of these events. Oh, I'm always doing X, Y, and Z. Suddenly, the always became, wait, or, I've always done this once a month? I've always done, gone to this event? Why? Yeah, they started asking the question, why? Why? <laughs> and even for Ted and I, I remember going through that summer, we started having conversations not just about what to put down, which is a typical conversation. When you have a lot going on in life, it's like, what can I say no to? But suddenly, we went through this fourth season where everything was a no and at the end of it, we started looking at each other going, what do we want to pick back up, though? What are yeah. we going to say yes to? And a lot of the things that we have been a part of did not have a way for us to be involved from a distance. Um, and not just us as a couple, but I think us kind of collectively. And a lot of nonprofits very, very much lean on local volunteers. Now, a lot of nonprofits actually need local volunteers. A lot of times you need boots on the ground, people actually present. Um, but I think a lot of time, the culture and the community that's developed by nonprofits um, is really done in a way where people are highly connected to one person, typically the leader, um, and it develops this culture and community where it's kind of stifled in terms of how much it can grow. 
Um, But then also in terms of the people who are around who want to do the administrative tasks or who want to help out in other capacities, um, you're really relying on a very specific group of people with a specific skill set and a specific heart for exactly what you're doing, all living within a small radius from where your nonprofit is located, rather than recognizing we have some phenomenal technology and we have people all over the country and a lot of them would probably be interested in helping you if they knew that they could with their skills and still feel like they're a part of what you're doing. Um, And I mean, it's kind of a hard conversation. We've had this conversation with many nonprofit leaders and it's hard for nonprofit leaders to wrap their mind around building a community that they don't feel like they can tangibly touch, see, oversee. Trap in a room for two and hours. And really be, yeah, and forced <laughs> to be in a meeting um, that no one wants to be at. I'm just kidding, kind of. <laughs> yeah, no. But uh, this is a big conversation, right? It's not just about we, we have to figure out a way to do it because of the pandemic, but now that that's sort of like waning a little bit, things are kind of normalizing Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point people are back out doing things again and and organizations that found out how to you know spread through the use of the internet spread through distance are exploding in really really great ways uh, it kind of forced some to shut down but it also forced others to spread their wings mm-hmm. and uh, I, I'm I've got this thought in my head of like uh, Thumbs up 5K. I remember her uh, when uh, Katie Shatusky, who we actually interviewed on the podcast last year, she talked about how they were setting up 5Ks that people could run in their homes. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like, I think it was just sort of like a side conversation, but I was like, that is so genius. That's something that could, that you could do worldwide. Everybody could run a 5K on their, on their home, around their own block whatever, and then find a way to still be a part of this movement, Mm -hmm. even though they're not physically in this town running around this specific block. Yep. And what was interesting talking to Katie about this is they have been through a series with their organization where they started out with something that was way bigger than they were anticipating from the beginning. And then it just multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. But when the pandemic hit, um, they, I could tell she immediately started thinking through how they could still make this work. A lot of nonprofits started integrating virtual 5Ks, but it was maybe a year or a year and a half after the pandemic had happened versus in the moment saying, we need to pivot now. We need to start looking at this now. How can we start making the change now? And as culture is constantly shifting and as life constantly happens, we cannot wait for things to normalize before we begin to shift. Um, Because as the shifts are happening, we need to be shifting with them as nonprofit leaders. And even if we don't get it perfectly right, showing the people in our organization that we are able to pivot and that we've created a structure that is strong because we have built-in flexibility we're going to actually end up building more trust mm-hmm. so that when things come back around to, to quote unquote normal and we have events more that people are expecting, um, they're going to want to stay with us because they recognize that not everything is leaning on everything having to be done the same way every single time, but its leaders really are able to ride the waves and ride the storms and ride the peaceful seas, like whatever it is 
they can trust that the organization is still going to be there. Donors, volunteers, leaders are looking for organizations that have longevity. Mm-hmm. And when you show that you can adjust and pivot and move with culture, um, that builds that trust that this organization is going to be around for a long time. My investment today is not going to be worth nothing in five years. It's going to actually have grown and turned into a larger impact. And on the adverse side, well, not maybe adverse, but another side of the coin with this whole idea is when things return to, quote, normal, we keep saying, quote, normal, because it's really a new normal. It's Mm -hmm. not the way it used to be. We see organizations being like, okay, finally, we can open our doors back up again. And then they go back to doing things the way that they were four years ago. The world is very different than it was four years ago. Well, we even see us in organizations where, you know, people talk about the new normal now. But let's be very clear. There are some organizations that are still functioning as if the internet doesn't exist in the capacity capacity that it does. Mm-hmm. This is a new normal from 2005. This is a new normal from 2010. This is a new normal from 1980, all right? So if that's kind of where you're coming in <laughs> from. Um, but there's constantly this cultural shift that means that the normal is always changing. And so if we are waiting for culture to, to circle back to our normal, our comfort zone, what we expect to happen so that our organization can continue to function the way that we think it should work, we're going to end up um, doing something in a style for a culture that no longer exists and trying to help people who need help in today's culture while trying to attract donors who aren't interested in what we're offering simply because we're not showing them that we understand what's happening and that we're actually changing in a way to become more effective with the times. Uh, what's interesting, and this just came to mind, is the whole response to the COVID-19 thing was shaped by how culture has changed. Because 50 years ago, they couldn't have shut down everything because no one could work from home. Everybody had to go to work. And now they were able to do that. So really what was happening was kind of a reckoning of all of the organizations that refused to keep up with the times were suddenly forced to have to catch up at least a little bit to stay around. And now that culture has kind of adopted this, like my, my grandma knows how to use zoom. That's, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's crazy talk. <laughs> right. <laughs> but she does. And so because of that, it's like the organizations that now know how to utilize that well are going to survive the next five years mm-hmm. because the ones that don't know how to utilize that and are going back to the way things were, they're going to drop off. Mm hmm. And even for business staff, Ted and I have a lot that we do, and I have um, typically quite a few meetings that I try to work in every month. Um, and I say typically because it does come and go Such in waves, it. and I'm coming into a new season where I'm going to be very busy. Um, but one thing that I've tried to do even now is I'm still trying to make as many things Zoom as possible. And I can tell some You're people- about Zoom video conferences. Yep, yeah. Zoom video conferences as possible. Um, and so- I can tell there are some people who are like, no, in person is still best. Let's sit down and let's grab a cup of coffee. And that's fine. I'm happy to do that with people. And I do really like meeting people in person. At the same time, because I've gotten so comfortable um, actually developing relationships over Zoom, over a video conference call, um, a lot of my network doesn't live in the state that I live in anymore. And so it's become this thing where people are like, I don't know how you do business without seeing face-to-face. And I'm sitting here going, I'm doing business with people I'll probably never see face-to-face. Like, 
if I'm traveling, there are going to be people that we call up and we're like, hey, can we meet? Because I've talked to you now tons of times. I feel like we're great friends. I've never actually met you. Yeah, that's um, happened already to That's us. already yeah. happened. And so it's just this really interesting dynamic where um, I'm realizing the value for nonprofit organizations to learn how to actually develop this community and develop true relationships, not surface level relationships, but actual relationships where you're willing to actually partner with someone who you might not ever meet, but they can actually help you and you can actually help them. It can be super, super beneficial in terms of relationships but we get it in our head that the relationship has to look a certain way and we're actually minimizing the amount of impact we can have simply because we don't want to try to learn a new skill. And I'll be honest, the first few times I did video conference meetings, they were so awkward. I was trying to figure out like, how does this work? What Not can we just talk you, about? The other person. Everyone. And that's the crazy thing I think about this is like, we're, I mean, I'm kind of techie. So like, you know, I was video conferencing with my brother when he lived in Malaysia and like different things like that a little bit beforehand, a little like, you know, those people who used Skype a lot, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. used it a ton for business and stuff. They were kind of on the front end of it. But now the vast majority of people who, you know, live in the uh, the, the first and second worlds, right, <laughs> are used to it. It's not like a weird thing anymore for, for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So it's it's normalized. Yeah. I had a friend of mine um, who lives 30 minutes from me. She's getting ready to enter a master's program, super busy. We wanted to catch up. So we hopped on a video call for a half hour instead of trying to arrange a full thing with our schedule where we could get together. And it was fantastic. Um, But going back to nonprofits, a lot of times what I'm seeing when I'm talking to nonprofit leaders, they're like, I just don't have someone who can handle our database the way that I need it to be handled. Or I don't have someone who can help me create these schedules I need created. And I'm looking at the technology that they have, and it's like, do you realize anyone with an internet connection could literally handle the task that you have? And you're telling me out of all of the people who have an internet connection, who have internet <laughs> connection, you can't find one person who is interested enough in what you're doing and in your vision and what you're trying to accomplish that they're willing to help you? Is that an issue with communication or is that an issue with vision or is that an, an issue with the fact that you think that you sh- that they should physically have to come to you and sit within your presence while they're working on this project? Like, what is it? Let's get to the root of this. It's not because that person isn't out there. Right. Whatever issue you are having right now in your nonprofit organization, I'm sorry to tell you, it is not because the person doesn't exist. Right. And it's not because the person doesn't exist who wants to do it for free. That's the crazy thing. I mean, uh, there are people out there who are looking for a way to give back and they want and they care about what your organization cares about. They care about what you're trying to accomplish in the world and they want to make a difference. They're tired of doing their same thing just for a paycheck. They want to figure out how to put in a little extra time outside of that. They're looking. They are they are dying to find your organization, but because you don't have a way that they can connect because they live an hour away from you, they can't. Mm-hmm. And that that whole and and the other thing, they're willing to do it from a distance. Right. Because it's not weird for them anymore. Maybe 10 years ago, it would have been like, oh, that's sort of weird to like volunteer for an organization that's that I'm never going to like go there. It's not weird at all anymore. People are connected to all sorts of things that are far away from that. But let's be very clear. 
it might not not even be out there that far away from you. They might be five minutes away from you and they would just rather do it from home. Yep. <laughs> like they're like, wait a minute, why do I even have a car? I don't yeah. ever have to go anywhere. I can I get my groceries brought. <laughs> I can get food brought. I can get uh, Amazon can bring me everything. I don't need to leave my house. <laughs> Sometimes so like I don't like leaving my house. It's pretty nice to not have to. But this is something um, I think part of this is just kind of how you're developing your leadership structure and actually creating structures that allow people to actually be a part of what you're doing and being willing to figure out how to build some of that culture and community that doesn't only exist within a certain um, physical space, a physical location. It also has to do with the systems. Um, A lot of times, the reason that people don't want someone who's far away, but they're like, no, this person should come in, is because the leader is unwilling to systemize the position to a point where the person can do the work without every five minutes having to ask a question about why something isn't working the way it's supposed to work. Hmm. And honestly, to get someone set up so that being an hour away and not having to call or text you every five minutes is going to take work on your part to not run your organization how you feel like running it, but running it in a way that is duplicatable and can be done by a volunteer who isn't going to constantly need your time, which means you need to kind of get it systemized in a way that isn't just about your personal preference. And that's just running the organization. How about events? Thinking through how can we do events in a way that don't require a physical location that is only in one city? Yes. People do like to get together into groups. That's Mm -hmm. that's just always going to be the case. People like to hang out. I mean, as soon as restrictions and stuff were opened, it was like, oh, my gosh, let's get to this event. So that like um, we were just part of uh, an event a couple weeks ago that (laughs) we grossly underestimated how many people were going to show up at it. And it was like, whoa, blown away by the amount of people. I think we were expecting 200 and they were like. 300 and it was like packed. yeah we expected a couple hundred people we hit that we hit capacity um before the event started doors opened at 5 30 event started at 6 by 5 25 capacity, capacity was reached um but we raised eight thousand dollars for a nonprofit, so that was awesome yeah no it was it was <laughs> but, great but it's just it shows you that people still do like to get together yeah but definitely i mean people who are five hours away can't be a part of your one room thing so Mm -hmm. how can you how can you expand that can you record it on video can you create an online event can you um set can you find people in other locations that want to run the an event in tandem with you and you know have 10 people at their event Mm -hmm. and 10 people at a different event i'm really starting to think how can we create nodes rather than a big blob is is how the world is working now. It's how culture is has shifted. Um, people are very, very deeply connected to a, gr- a, a smaller group of people that is spread way out. I have friends that I meet with that are all over the U.S. I meet with them every week because we have one singular sole purpose <laughs> and we're very, very all driven by it together. But like when I talk to anybody in my town about it, they're like, that sounds stupid. Like... <laughs> It's not even across like the country. It's like across the world. Oh yeah, that's you right. Are... There's one guy from Estonia that's part of it, <laughs> and it's like it. the The internet has allowed people to connect with people who are so like them 
that it's like, why would I go to the bar and talk to somebody that like we maybe connect on like a couple things when it's like I could be so much like this group of people <laughs> that is spread out and it's not hard for us to get together. Mm-hmm. It, you know, 20 years ago, that was impossible to get that group of people. Yeah. There's a book I read a long time ago that's called, I think it's The Spider and the Starfish, and talks about different organizational structures mm-hmm. and talked about how originally organizations were set up very much like a spider. A spider, you have the body, you have eight legs, but if you kill the body, the legs all die. Um, and that's a lot of how organizations run. They have their central thing, and if that thing were to disappear for whatever reason, everything connected to it would just be done. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. It's not going to work. Where the idea of having an organization that's run more like a starfish is if the center of a starfish, like, dies, like, if the legs all get cut off, each leg spawns a new starfish. And so it really is set up in this interesting way where, yes, everything's connected, but if something were to happen, like, things would still continue to grow. And, in fact, with the starfish, it's actually going to multiply Um, simply because there's allowed to be DNA in each of the different areas that has the ability to reproduce. And replicate. And replicate. Um, With nonprofits, a lot of times nonprofit leaders are afraid that if you give someone the ability to create culture or to create community or to lead something that's not under your direct physical, like, they're in the building with me and I can see what's going on leadership. That direct control. They're like, oh, my gosh, but what could happen? Um, but what they're not seeing is what could if happen. we do this right, what could happen? Yeah, you could end up with these little spots of your organization all over the U.S. with groups of people who are like, "Man, I heard about that one organization. They're doing great things. I have a group of friends. We're super good at X, and we are going to hit it." When we were talking last year on our podcast with George Jacobian. Um, he has different nodes of people all over the U.S. Some are just purely administrative nodes. They have a group of people that help their nonprofit, and all they do is admin stuff. Some of them are fundraising nodes where they just work together to help raise funds in their community. Mm-hmm. And so he, they found this way of finding like the person in other communities who were super passionate and really good at one specific area and then showing them how they could be integrated into this fantastic nonprofit that's helping orphans. Um, in Armenia, and then allowing them to actually build up the leadership in creating their own cultures and community. Their own chapters. Their own chapters. That even if something were to happen to that central leadership structure, yes, things obviously would change because you have boards and bylaws and all of that. But at the same time, this group of people, even if everything else went away, is still going to be able to make an impact um, in some nonprofit capacity, because they have their own community and structure and culture built up. Um, and a lot of times we get so concerned that if something becomes outside of our control, that it's going to somehow backfire on us instead of realizing that every time that we duplicate our heart and care for impact, the world is going to be made better because we're teaching other people how to make a difference alongside of us instead of saying the only difference that you're allowed to make is the difference that I tell you you can make. Mm-hmm. And then we have to ask the question, what's the legacy that we're building? Mm-hmm. And this can be a hard realization for a lot of leaders. Am I building a legacy that just is my legacy or am I building a legacy that actually is about the cause? Because at the end of the day, if you're asking, you know, what could happen if and it, it's, it's bad if 
this uh, branch of the organization kind of goes off and does their own thing in their own way. If that's a bad thing to you, your organization is really about your ego and not about the cause. Mm -hmm. I mean, it'd be it's one thing if they go off and, you know, are evil, (laughs) but like they're not going to do that. (laughs) Like in the in the in the chance that that happens, the government will probably crack down on them and shut them down. You know, like it's not going to like <laughs> it's not going to kill uh, the cause. Right. And uh, most people are probably going to try their best. Maybe they won't be as good at fundraising as you are, or maybe they're not as good at administration as you are, or maybe they're not as good at vision as you are. But we have to remember that ultimately we're trying to change the world for the better. And if if we decentralize a little bit and start figuring out how do we do stuff at a distance, it's actually better for our cause that and we're trying to change. Learning to do stuff at a distance, I guarantee if you can figure out how to build community with people you've never met, you're going to learn tips and tools that are actually going to improve the community that you're actually around right now. Um, it all helps together, but also the biggest legacy, like we look at the impact that we're making with our nonprofits or with the organizations that we're leading or with the work that we're doing. If you're a business owner, you're looking at that impact too. Um, but honestly, the biggest impact that we can make is with the people that we're interacting with. And it's not only the people who are the recipients of our nonprofits. Often the bigger impact that we're going to have that we don't even realize is in the volunteers and the donors Um, And the people attending who are more closely tied with us, as we teach them, here is how to run an organization, here is how to lead, here is how to effectively communicate, here is really how to care, here is how to get on the same level as someone, actually look them in the eye and have that conversation, have that moment with them um, so that they know that they've been seen and heard. Here are these life skills that are going to impact you for years to come as you start to realize oh my gosh, I really care about this. What if I went to school for this? What if I developed this own thing? What if I developed like a sister organization that worked with the same group of people, but maybe on different cause? Like the ripple effect, I think that we miss is in the people that we're actually doing the work with Mm -hmm. and the impact that we're making on their lives. So don't discredit all of that. And yes, every time that you put yourself out there and say, I'm going to expand this, you are setting yourself up for either massive growth or, you know, someone along the way might say, I don't want to be a part of this organization. I'm going to branch off. I'm going to branch off. And you can either take that as a betrayal for you or Or as a growth for like the overall cause of bettering humanity and making someone else's life better. So I I don't know. We want to challenge you this week. This is the question that we... It's just so exciting. The potential (laughs) of like how much could happen. What could happen? Stop asking that question negatively. Start asking, like, what could happen? Mm-hmm. It could be massive. What's your challenge? My challenge this week is to to ask the question, how can... Well, sorry, it's a question and a challenge. Answer this question and then do what your answer is. How can I create one role that can be done from a distance that they never actually meet me face-to-face and have lunch What's one role that can be done in that way and then implement that role into your organization? You're going to find that it forces you to think outside the box and it forces you to think about how your organization could expand in ways that you couldn't possibly imagine. 
So we want to hear what that is. If you thought about that role and you want to just share it with somebody because you want someone to hold you accountable, or you're just excited about it because it's like, oh my gosh, the, the possibilities are endless. Send us an email to uh, office at legacybuildersintl.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening to the Legacy Builders Movement. If you appreciate this podcast and find that it's valuable, the best way that you could help us is to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. To learn more about Legacy Builders, go to LegacyBuildersInternational.com. That's LegacyBuildersIntl.com. 